Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Who inspires the women shaping the world we live in? Women whose names will one day be read in history books by future generations of women seeking inspiration. I'm your host, Rachel Thompson, senior reporter at Mashable. Before we start, there is discussion of rape and sexual assault in this episode. In July 2017, Gina Martin was watching the Killers perform at a music festival in Hyde Park, London. She was there to hang out with her sister, who she hadn't seen for a while but something happened in the crowd that became a pivotal moment in her life. Two men were harassing her. After saying no several times, one of the men upskirted her. Upskirting is an act of taking secret photos or videos under a person's clothing without their consent. Martin later learned that upskirting wasn't a criminal offence in England and Wales, so she did something about it. She led a successful campaign and changed the law in England and Wales. And since the law was changed data from 35 police forces has shown that an upskirting allegation was made to police nearly every single day. My name is Gina Martin and I'm a writer and campaigner. Lots of people would call me an activist. I'm most well known for making upskirting a sexual offence in England and Wales and changing the law without any political legal experience. And I'm also a broadcaster and uh, a speaker and do lots of other bits as well to try and push for change. Okay, so my first question is, you changed the law, making upskirting a criminal offence in this country. Mm-hmm. But is there a woman from history or from the present day who's had a massive effect on your life? Oh my God, there's so many women. There's women who have had a massive personal effect on my life. But in terms of in the context of pushing for progress or campaigning or what I do, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has had the biggest effect on me in most recent history. She, I just, I've never felt before like I have seen someone close to me be represented in such traditional structures and going into parliament as a working class like northern girl who dresses like a children's tv character uh, (laughs) all the time was isolating at best and she is she's a working class girl who's come from the you know people say humble beginnings but to me that's just normal like just Mm. very normal life regular existence and has decided to try and bring some kind of moral clarity to a to an industry and a, and a and a structure that is incredibly, you know, um, binary and partisan and elite mm. and gatekeeping and academic. And I just I watch her and I just think, okay, so maybe some of us can do that then, 
you know, yeah. like I was a bartender five years ago. I worked in office a year ago. So why can't we do this then? Why can't we bring moral clarity to a place that doesn't have it right now? She inspires me beyond belief all the time. Whenever I say I speak. I love that. I love her. She just, I just love how she will destroy you. I mean, she's with facts. so, yes. <laughs> she's so relentless. That's what I love though, because I, I think people look at, you know, we have this like lefty, righty, mm. you know, right wing lefty, you know, what's, I always get called a social justice warrior all the time, which I was like, nice. what a compliment. And then I realized it was actually trolling. Oh, and I was God. like, oh, I thought people were being real nice because that's like the nicest thing anyone's ever called. I mean, it is accurate. Yeah. It's just a loaded term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, that that is me. Cheers. Um, <laughs> But like the the whole left wing thing, like people see, you know, the whole snowflake thing, like compassion mm. is weakness or empathy is weakness. And she's just so resilient and so uh, dogmatic, but with mm. at the heart of it with like compassion and intersectionality and inclusivity. And it's like, I love seeing that kind of strength with also just the base level of just compassion and love in, in the root of it. I think that's an amazing combination. Your story begins in July 2017. Yeah. Um, and you were watching the killers perform in Hyde Park. And what happened next prompted you to launch a campaign to change the law. Can you tell me a bit about what happened that day? Yeah, so I was 25. I'm 28 now. I just moved. I used to live in Greece and I just moved back to London. And I hadn't seen my sister in like a year and we're best mates. Mm -hmm. So we forked out like 80 or 90 quid, whatever it was, to go to British Summertime Hyde Park to see the killers. And it was like 6 p.m., summer day, 30 degrees, bright sunshine. And we were in a crowd of about 60,000 people. And these guys, this group of guys were kind of like hitting on me and Stevie and making loads of comments. And I was just like, listen, I'm, I've been, I've not seen my sister in forever. Like I just want to have a good night with her. Mm. And it went on and on. And then they, he made this really loud joke about, he said, oh, I bet, he said something like, I bet she's really, she's good at giving blowjobs or something like super loud. And I like clapped back at him and said like, he sounded like a 12 year old. Mm. And then he just got really angry. And then he, I didn't see him do it, but he stuck his hands between my legs and took photos of my crotch up my skirt i remember him brushing up against me and me thinking oh, i was just cr someone in the crowd and then a couple of minutes later one of the guys this super big blonde guy w was standing in front of me and they were also laughing and i could tell they were laughing at me but i didn't know what was going on and i looked around the back of him and he was on his phone on whatsapp and he'd been sent this photo which was like really well taken of my crotch and i grabbed the phone out of his hand and held it up and was like what are you doing take pictures of my vagina and like i started crying and i we had got into a scuffle and he grabbed me and then this girl helped me get away and these two boys helped me get away too and I like ran through the crowd to the police with his phone and he followed me like followed ran after me mm. and then I got to the police and they said well I got security first and they were amazing and then they called the police and the police were like you know what like you should be able to go to a festival on 30 degrees and wear a skirt and this not happened to you but we've had a look at the photo it shows, shows more than you want it to show um, but you won't hear much from us so there's nothing we could do he said because you've chosen to wear knickers it's not a graphic image what the hell? And actually, technically, that isn't the law. I know that now. So he was obviously incredibly confused because, quite understandably, he was confused because there wasn't a law in place. Obscuring didn't exist in legal language in England yeah. Wales. So he didn't know what to do about it. And I kind of went home and was like, oh, geez, like, what if I was a kid, though? Mm. And I put this selfie up of me and Stevie that the guys were in the background of, guys who did it. And um, I put it on. I said, "Can like the law can't help me? Police can't help me? Can someone help me with this? Like, just share this picture. I want them to feel something." And then Facebook got in contact with me and said, "That's harassment. You put in the, the picture up." What? So they could take the photos, and I couldn't do anything. But then I was harassing them by putting it on Facebook. Right. You know, just that, just the you know everyday bullshit of life. Yeah, absolutely. Classic. <laughs> so I got super angry, and I was like, "I'm so bored of like brushing stuff off, man. Like, I'm so done with like, oh, my ass got grabbed in the club." I feel well intimidated, but I'll just carry on. I'm like, you know, oh, you're rubbing your 
crotch up against me and I don't know who you are. Or even stuff like I turned 16, I remember being like, I'm not going to take the underpass near my house on the main road because I'm more scared of what will happen in the underpass than I am about cross, crossing a main road in traffic because I'm scared of guys I don't know. Yeah. And like, it's just been this kind of 20 years of brushing stuff off and I was like, I'm just not doing that anymore. So I'll just give it a go and see what happens and then started a campaign. Uh, I worked in marketing, so I thought I can do a social media campaign and then I got a lawyer and that's kind of where it kicked off, I guess. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like you later, I read in your book, you later received a call from the Met Police letting you know that the case had been dropped. Yeah, two days later, three days later. And no further action would be taken. Like, how did it make you feel to hear that news? That was the bit, that was the, that was before the Facebook picture. And that was right. the first bit where I was like, I am, I put the phone down. And I was like, that can't be right. Like something yeah. snapped, I think, because I was just like, you know, we ask women and marginalized people to constantly do everything if something happens to them. Like, did you get a picture? Did you do this? Why didn't you report it sooner? What were you wearing? All this stuff. There's so, there's a list of expectations we are meant to fill to be taken mm. seriously as a person that something has happened to. And I did all of it. Like I got the phone, I got the photo, I got the guy and handed him into police. How many people can say that? Yeah. I had how many thousands of witnesses? Like I had a picture of him on my phone. Literally presented him to the police. I pre I, yeah, I presented him, I presented the picture, the upskirting picture, I presented a picture of his face. I had, they found him immediately because I gave them everything. And even then mm. still, no, we can't help you. So what more do you have to do? So I think that phone call just made me go, Yeah. hang on, I'm kind of done with considering that maybe I didn't do enough in this situation because I know in this situation I did. Yeah. I know I did. So, and then I was like, well, what, you know, I need to find out why this isn't working. And that's when I found out that the law wasn't there for me. Yeah. And so after you found out that upskirting is not legally considered a sexual offence under England and yeah. Wales, because in Scotland it had been made an For offense. a decade. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, what prompted you to want to change the law and what were your like first steps in kind of going about that? I originally, I'm not sure that I was campaigning to change the law because I was, but like I would never have said it because mm. I was like, that will never happen. Don't be an idiot. You can't change the law. You're literally <laughs> barely academic. Like I scraped behind school. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. But I thought, okay, well, I'll just try and get my case reopened. Mm. But I was trying, I know that I was trying to start a conversation around it and be like, why isn't this a sexual offense? That's I was basically asking the question, why is this not a sexual offense? And by dint of doing that, you're kind of saying we should change the law. Yeah. But I was too scared to say that I as a person was trying to change the law because <laughs> that now sounds idiotic. So I, um, I did like social, I basically, I started a social media campaign because mm. I worked in marketing for ages and I built brands for big alcohol brands, all different kinds of big brands. And so I was like, why can't I just do that for a cause then? Like, I know how to do paid Facebook ads. Mm. I know how to target communities who care about things. If you're selling an alcohol brand, then you will target people who have liked the pages of alcohol brands, people who spend the time on lifestyle um, editorials that talk about alcohol brands. You can see what people like and mm. what they live uh, enjoying. So I was like, okay, well, I'll target people who are sympathetic to women's issues, who are sympathetic to human rights issues, because that's yeah. what women's issues are, who are sympathetic to, I don't know, um, safety of children because this is an issue with children too like mm. targeting all these people people go to festivals people you know yeah so i did these kind of ads facebook ads and i set up a petition and i put i must have put like i put barely any money behind them and then i used twitter to find commissioners producers uh editors police commissioners yeah uh qcs like anyone that mm. i could talk to to get advice on this and if i was right about this and i used uh 
I asked a friend of mine who was a law student and she looked into the law and gave me like a one pager and said, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I kind of got this one pager and then all these quotes from authorities saying that I was right. Yeah. And then I launched a social media campaign, which was basically saying to people, why isn't this a sexual offense? Let's do something about this. And as soon as I did that, like hundreds of stories came in. This was six months before Me Too as well. Right. So like a mini Me Too happened with Upskilling. Yeah. And I couldn't get, I couldn't move for the messages. Like seven-year-old girls whose teacher oh my in Croydon, there was a teacher in Croydon who'd been doing it for kids for like seven months. Couldn't prosecute him because it's not a sexual offence or a specific offence. So once you, like, you use a voice for that stuff, you realise, God, like anytime someone says this happens to me, people come out the woodwork and go, yeah, me too. And I just need, me too, right? right? And I just needed to know, like I now know that this is a problem. So the social media campaign kicked off massively when people started messaging. And then I packaged up the numbers from social media and basically went to producers on TV and said, look, you have an audience here. Mm. That's a great thing about social media. You could go look at the numbers. Yeah. Like I proved to you that there's hundreds of thousands of people interested in this. So you should be talking about it on TV. Yeah. And then I started doing regular media and then I realized I was shouting about it. I wasn't being clever. I was doing an awareness campaign, but that doesn't change the law. So I then I had to get really serious. Like, I think I must have interviewed you in like 2017. Oh my God. So, oh, wait, on the Mashable article on the campaign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember this. Back in 2017 in November. Yeah, this was literally five months after I started the campaign. Yeah. Four. And I remember reaching out to, um, I think it was the parliamentary, like the petitions website. And I asked them something about like, um, like, can you tell me about like your response to this petition? And they were like, yeah, it's unlikely that parliament will take a petition like this seriously. Yeah. And I literally lolled reading that yesterday because I was like, in your Hello. Face. Sorry about it. Well, this is the thing. Like how many people try and do things and then when the authority says, mm. no, we probably won't, you yeah. go, I guess you won't then. I don't take that. No. Because you will, because I just won't stop annoying you until I weigh you down. Sorry. I love that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the petition isn't the campaign. The petition is one of the tools in a campaign. There's so much else that goes around it. And, mm. like, I'm done with people saying no. Like, well, I don't, you don't care enough then. So I'll make you care about it because yeah. it's important to people. Exactly. Like, it's boring. Apathy <laughs> is boring, man. You know, with we were talking about, I was talking with a colleague about Christopher Cho, for instance. Oh, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Your best friend. <laughs> yeah, he's my bestie. Why? Yeah, so we had a slow party last night. It's great. <laughs> and so, for people who obviously are listening and don't necessarily know that person's name, like he's an MP that when there was a private members' bill introduced in in Parliament to push the basically make uh, upskirting a criminal offence, mm. he objected to it without yeah. actually understanding, without having read it. Yes, he was the only MP to object. And parliamentary procedure: six hundred fifty MPs, six hundred forty nine can agree, one disagrees, you kill it. That's so. That's a annoying. problem in itself, isn't it? Yeah, but you persisted. Nevertheless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, and then I think was it a few months after that that basically it was. It was actually t- like technically it was twelve out. Well, right. hard to explain. Technically it was before that. So like really? yeah, because I think a good campaigner and a good strategy is someone who knows all the outcomes that can happen. Mm. And that's parliamentary procedure. Me and Ryan knew that someone could object and it would kill it. We didn't expect someone to because we were like, in this post-Me Too era, who is going to stand up and say, no, I don't want to protect women and girls? But, you know, hell surprise, <laughs> Christopher Chokewood. Um, he's not even on the internet. I don't even know if he knows what Me Too is. So he, we knew that he could object. Mm. And we actually found out three days prior to him doing it that he was going to do it. Right. Prior? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Before. Yeah. Great. I'm I'm a writer. Um, it's always good to check. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, we found out three days before and conservatives were just trying to stop him because right. they were all like, every party was on board by this point. Me and Ryan had built a real army in there with like across Lib Dem, Labour, Conservative, everyone. It wasn't a party issue. It was yeah. a human issue, right? So we built this army in there for like a year. So everyone was on board. 
And everyone had put time into it. And then this guy was like, no. Nah. And conservatives were like, are you joking? This is well, something we want to do that is actually a good story for the conservatives. Yeah. You know, that's politics. And you're going to object to it and all of us agree with it. And they'd really, conservatives had actually, they came on last, on board last because they're the people who can change the law. It's very easy if you're Labour to say, we support this, you don't have to change the law. Yeah. But it's very easy if you're Lib Dem to say, we support this. But conservatives came on last when they could actually push it through. Yeah. But they they really, really did it. Like, they worked really hard. And I, you know, openly admitted to that, you know, I'm not a conservative voter. But, yeah. it, you know, I put politics aside when something is about people and I will work with whoever I have to work with to get the job done. Because also, let's be honest, the seven-year-old girls that I'm fighting for can't even vote yet. Right. So it's really, it would be very privileged for me to say, well, I'm not working with these, this party or this party because I don't vote for them. Oh, mm. yeah, well, good for you. You can vote. Kids can't vote. This is about people. It's not about politics. So just put that aside. So they came on board and they really tried to stop Trope. But we knew that was a, an issue that he could do that or someone would do that. So we built up a really great relationship with Lucy Fraser and the Minister of Justice. She was a justice minister at the time. Yeah. And we got government backing before he objected. That's good. Which meant that if he objected the government would find another way to do it so the next morning after he objected and it all went off it was horrific i think i did like 43 media appearances in one day and then i drove to see beyonce <laughs> oh my god at night and she did this bit about being a feminist and i cried of course like i've never cried it was the most horrific day of my life the, jo- the day she objected yeah it was so stressful and then i and then i yeah the next morning we went to the ministry of justice and we said you need to table the government bill because the mps can't object to that and it has to go above people's heads because people are really angry and lucy fraser went yes absolutely and we tabled that bill the next day That's and then amazing. it took a year for us to see that through so thank you beyonce and <laughs> thank you beyonce thank you lucy fraser <laughs> thank you chope yeah and thank thanks, you Gina, no thanks most importantly oh um, thank you both. <laughs> <laughs> but um Yeah, so in your book, you write, as women, we're used to putting up and brushing off harassment, assault, or worse. And do you think, was your campaign a turning point for you in, like, no longer putting up and shutting up with normalized sexual harassment? Massive turning point for me, yeah. I think it was, I feel like action cures fear. And Mm. I think my whole life I've been brushing stuff off and I've been angry about it. Yeah. And I think that's fair to be angry. And I now say to everyone, like, hold space for people who are angry. Like, because being angry about this problem is a very normal response. Mm. I'm not going to apologize for being angry that everyone I know has been sexually assaulted in some way. I'm not going to apologize for being angry that, you know, my friend was, someone put something in a drink recently and she just about, just about found out. Like, I am angry about that. And that's yeah. okay. Because actually it's a great motivator for change. And that turning point with the upscaling thing, it was just the last straw, really. It was just like, why do I keep putting this off? And then when you, when I talked about it, you know, I spent so much time with people who have been through so much. Mm. And it's like, if this is happening to me as a, you know, educated, Western-raised, deemed socially palatable by society, yeah. I'm very privileged person. And if this is happening to me, what's happening to, you know, a, a, a disabled black woman below the poverty line? What's happening to someone, you know... This is about all of us. It's not really about me, but it was just about learning that this is the scale of this problem and the nuances of it structurally and the intersections of it are so much bigger than I realized. Yeah. And it took me to like get angry about that, to open that up to myself and go, okay, yeah, we have a real problem and learn about that. It was just such a huge turning point. And I hope it was for many people. That's why I wanted to make it a massive campaign because a campaign changes a lot, sure, but also it educates people. A lot doesn't change people's minds, you know? Yeah. This talking does. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Exactly. Because like, you know, I think I was speaking to an, uh, an academic recently and it was like the law cannot be the only arbiter of like what is right in society. 100%. It's like one of the things that we use to like guide us, obviously, because, you know, that's... that's yeah, it sets a precedent. Yeah. But like people often in order for laws to change, like you need people like you, for instance, to be like, hey, this is, it's kind of messed up that this isn't illegal. Yes. I'm a massive believer that the law isn't a skeleton for morality. Yeah. It all works for. I never has been. That's why there's how many countless bills going through parliament every single day to change it. And also in this country as well. So in England and Wales, the law actually, like people who are legal experts and like academics, they say especially recently they've been saying that the law is not keeping pace with like technological development definitely isn't no. so things like cyber flashing yeah. and like um deep fakes and uh, and upskirting was one of them yeah yeah and also i think the law conversation is really interesting because it's very easy f- it would be very easy for me and you to sit here and go mm. yeah the law is how we should live our lives blah blah, blah. as privileged people yeah that's fine because it's very easy for us to to live easily through life and the law and say that but the law also discriminates and makes people's life hell from minorities and dehumanizes people and hurts people and doesn't isn't there for people and the way it is for you know me and you as like london white people in the media so like you know nothing is that simple and i just think we have to be continually pushing and stretching and trying to change things for everyone because otherwise what are we doing yeah, no, you're completely right. But when I, I think we had a chat over email in 2018 and you said to me, I'll be so encouraged by the fact that one normal person can make a difference and change things. Um, I wondered, do you have any tips or advice for people who, who might think that they're too normal or ordinary to like challenge the status quo? Uh, my advice is that I wrote this in the book. I think it's the biggest, I should have done a whole book on this to be fair. I think it's the biggest... Um, dupe in the world the normal people who are on the street every single day regular people Mm. whoever you are whatever that means people on walks of life who just live in the world how they feel like they have no stake in changing things when they're the ones that see the problems every day yeah the people who have the stake to change things academics politicians a very very limited experience of what living in the world is i have limited experience too but they have a far more limited experience than me Mm. and the fact that we are walking around every day we see the problems we live them we know the nuances of them. We deal with the effects of subjugation, oppression, all these different things every single day. And we still don't feel like we're the people to solve it. That's like you're holding the evidence and you have no you have no push to influence the jury. How? Because mm. you're holding the evidence. It's in your hands. Boris Johnson doesn't know what this is like. Why is he the one making decisions? So like we have to diversify mm. who is in who is gatekeeping these decisions, who is in control of these decisions, who is heading up these kind of authoritative structures. So it's such bullshit because 
every big change that has happened that has disrupted the status quo for the better has come from normal people. Yeah. Everyone, Gloria Steinem, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Greta Thunberg, look at all these. These are all normal people. They be, they become, in our heads, remarkable because of what they've achieved, but they are normal people. Mm. They are just like me and you. The only, the only difference is they just made a decision didn't stop doing it. That's literally the only difference. So I completely reject the idea that regular people are not academic enough or not clever enough or whatever they are mm. it's just society doesn't give them the access and the resources and the belief and the support to do it and that's mm. what I try to change in some way with my work is it's going to be harder for a lot of people you know for me it was harder in parliament because I'm a woman right a young woman but that was the only oppressive the only oppressive force in my life is guys my yeah. gender right yeah my friend is non-binary Jamie and they're going in there and trying to change the law on giving like obviously gender different you know a different gender identity option on on, on forms so like passports and all these yeah. important things that we have and they're gonna really well they're really struggling because yeah. there's uh, so many layers of oppression on them being non-binary yeah. and their experience that makes it so much harder for them so it's gonna be hard for whoever you are but it's so worth fighting for because i'm so bored of one set of people deciding what's right for for people I look around at my friends and then I look at politics or academia and it doesn't look like any of us mm. for me um you know obviously we've we know kind of what the next five years are going to look like politically in this country I mean to be fair who actually knows because yeah. things do change quite often true but you know I think we know it's not good yeah <laughs> for a lot of people who were like disappointed perhaps by the election result like activism could be a kind of shining beacon of hope you it's know? a balm for us now yeah, yeah it's what we need in society now and it's it it's so hopeful because like you just said it, what i said to you in the email which is so hilarious because i've literally not changed my tone for three years <laughs> um there isn't i never like when i finished the campaign i was like i'm so glad someone and i said it to friends like i'm so glad just one person can make a difference and like that one person's you and i'm like yeah but it's not i'm not saying me it, it could have been anyone and i would have been yeah. like you know it is anyone it's greta i love her yeah you know I look at people all the time and go, we, we keep seeing regular people do these things, but so, somehow we still feel like we can't. Yeah. And we're made to feel like that. It's not a mistake that people don't feel like they can make change. That's, you know, it's not, women have been taken, you know, their human rights have been limited. Marginalized people have been made to feel like they don't have a stake in the world. That's not a mistake. That's on purpose. So things stay the way they are. So we kind of have to like, force ourselves and be like no i'm gonna even if that's just challenging conversations even if that's just making different decisions than what you buy that's why the book's like that as accessible as it is because not everyone has to be an activist but everyone can be yeah but not everyone has to be and i think there's that picture of greta when she's sitting outside on her own on yeah just sitting on her own like it's only 18 months ago i think I know. and she's just sitting there and you know obviously she's the only person campaigning and then like fast forward to now look at this like look at what she's done i know and like millions of people, like she's not on her own anymore. Like, <laughs> do you know what? Once you stand up for something, you never are. Yeah, you'll exactly. you'll feel like you will be, but if you stand up for something, you'll realize you're never alone in it. Yeah, and so I think for many people, your campaign brought the term upskirting into public consciousness. Mm. I remember a lot of people at the time saying, "What? What is that?" You know, like I think certainly like my family members when yeah. I talked to them about it, they were like, "What does that word mean?" Mm. Um, did you know the name of what had happened to you, or was it something that you found out later? I knew what upskirt photos were because I'd mm. seen them on like kind of fetishized corners of porn on the internet. Yeah, I remember when I was younger and we had like a desktop computer. Yeah, a pop-up ad came up that was like a camera in the floor when a girl was a or a woman, sorry, was at um 
a till of a shop in like right. America. And I did some research into when I started the campaign and found out that like non-consensual porn is like one of the highest searched as well as amateur, which basically means kids and non-consensual. That's a problem in itself. That's really messed up. Um, so I kind of found, I knew that that was a kind of thing. I knew, I knew what obscure photos were in terms of porn, but I didn't really realize that they were kind of everyday, mm. quote unquote, assault. But when I looked into it, I found out about Japan and how it's a massive problem in Japan. And they have signs on the tube saying don't upskirt people. Mm. And you can't turn off the camera shutter noise of phones in Japan. So yeah. that women are alerted to it happening. Which, again, like, put a band-aid on a problem. Jesus. Well, know. we've alerted it, her to her after. So, great. What cool. a failure on your part. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I knew this was a problem. But then I was like, okay, I think I need to... Language is really powerful. And, mm-hmm. like, I think with these kinds of things... It's like revenge porn, right? I don't particularly like that phrase. No. Because it's still, that's through the male gaze. Oh, it's porn. It's not porn. Yeah. It's people who have taken consensual images, like we all have of ourselves naked at some point, most people have, on the phones with people they trust. And it's it's abuse. And it's a abuse of trust. And so the upskirting thing was like, well, if we give it, I was like, if I, if I try and use this phrase, upskirting, that shows like that it's an active act that's happening. It's mm. kind of this insidious form of assault. It's not upskirt photos. Like a porn category. Right. So I just want to change language around it so we could kind of understand that it it felt more active. Yeah. And people feel it's happening. Yeah. And, it, and it worked, I think. And also it worked because the press love a frigging buzzword. They do. So and I kind of knew that. <laughs> yeah. No, and you're absolutely uh. right. And I think I, I've like read a lot about like uh, the kind of like academic theory around like how you talk about sexual violence. Interesting. And like basically what one of the like core tenets is that you cannot like hierarchize harms. So you cannot yes. say that one thing is more important than, than something else. You've just given me language. Thank you. Because I right. don't know how to say that. But hierarchize. I mean, it's even not like yeah. a word. I love it. <laughs> hierarchize harms. Yeah. So you can't say that like one thing is is more serious than another. Like you can't say that like yeah trigger warning like uh rape um you can't say that you know like a stranger rape is more um is more serious than a marital or yeah a marital or acquaintance rape or something because it that it still has the power to cause the amount the same amount of trauma yeah and every situation is different and we minimize when we start to compare Mm. traumas and we go like you know, it's the friggin' trauma Olympics, like who's been hurt more, what's happened, you know, exactly. whose is worse. We really minimize people's experiences. And it's not a competition, man. Like, no. also, we don't do that with anything else. Yeah. I don't, we don't turn around and someone goes, I got mugged, and you go, yeah, we well, didn't, didn't get mugged twice. That doesn't right. happen. So why are we doing that with women? It's because we're continually, or, you know, not just women, but marginalized genders as well with trans people, non-binary people, because sexual violence is a massive problem with them too. Like, why are we trying to minimize and compare people's experiences? Why can't we just be human about it and be like, that's awful? Yeah, absolutely. Why can't you just take it at face value? And, and also, like, I think that there's an issue with, like, taking people's subjective experiences seriously. Yeah, And, like, you know, not invalidating their experience yeah 100 agree um and i saw on your instagram story that you have a lot of people messaging you with stories of like sexual assault rape and harassment Mm. and i imagine that some of those are probably triggering to read like how do you even go about coping with that i think for me it's like I actually think it's actually less triggering for me because I've been incredibly privileged and lucky. I actually haven't been through any kind of violent sexual assault. Mm. The upskirting and a couple of other things are kind of things on that level are the worst that's happened to me. So I'm very lucky. So it's less that they're triggering. It's more that every day 
24 hours a day, I'm available for 60,000 people to tell me their trauma. And there's a great guilt in that because I am not trained or the right person to give people advice on this stuff. Yeah. Psychotherapists are. Um, sexual assault support networks are. This isn't my space. I don't want to take on that because I, I'm not going to do a good job enough for them. Yeah. So I always feel like guilty because I'm like, oh my God, like I really appreciate that you've told someone this. Like it's great yeah. that you're telling someone this. Also the act of writing it out. The act of talking about it is so cathartic and I'm glad you feel strong enough to do that, but I'm not the person to help you with this because I'm not going to take up space when they could be talking to someone who really genuinely help them. So I try and forward people onto um, contacts I have at charities and organizations and stuff. Mm-hmm. I did that actually for the first year, but now it's got, it's got unmanageable. Yeah. And I just hold this massive guilt knowing that it sort of makes me cry. Mm-hmm. But I always cry, that's fine. Um, but I sort of have this massive guilt knowing that like so many young girls and women are reaching out for me for help and I can't see them all because yeah. I can't, I literally can't see them all because there's too many and I, I can't respond to them all and I can't get to everyone and ne- neither should I because I'm not the person to help, but it, I just, I want to be able to do something for everyone. I can't. And, and it's also, it does mean that I spend, you know, most of my, my, my work is about talking about hard yeah. stuff, right? And spending times you know, this restraint conversation you have guys yeah. where they don't get it or you'll say this happened and they go, yeah, but false people, women always, you know, false accusations are huge or whatever. And you just want to like flip a table because yeah. you're like, how many times do I have to hear this? That is my job. So it's quite frustrating a lot of the time. And then I'd spend all my time reading these like incredibly sad messages. And I just feel so sorry for all these wonderful women um, and people, but I, I can't help everyone. And my biggest problem is I can't help everyone. I get really upset when I think about the fact I can't solve everything. So it makes me really sad. But... I also feel kind of hopeful because I'm like, how amazing that we're in a space now where women and girls feel like I I feel brave yeah. enough to tell a stranger this. I can because I I am worth telling this story. Yeah. Like I'm not ashamed anymore. I will reach out to someone I don't know and tell them that story. That that's a big step. Yeah. So I think it's good, but it just makes me sad. Of course, <laughs> I think it, it's incredibly hard because you don't I mean I can't even imagine what it must feel like for you but like it's a huge responsibility yeah it is there's a massive responsibility comes with this work yeah and I'm trying my best (laughs) bless you sorry I'm gonna (laughs) do you want a tissue or anything I'm gonna no it's fine I'm so used to crying honestly it's like my job is crying it's fine I cry at everything the same I'm frustrated angry happy sad yeah like cry cry but also you know crying isn't about like not crying isn't about power anymore like i don't think exactly. i share my emotion because i don't think i think normalized emotions please yeah I'm, i cried in a meeting with the ministry of justice well done i know good and i still got law change so ha! exactly <laughs> so there you go more crying please. more crying please be a human it's fine yeah exactly and sadiq khan the mayor of london says your campaigning and activism has made our country safer for women and girls what do you hope that the general public will learn from your campaign I hope they will learn that if you're, if you do your research, if you're strategic, if you're angry about something, if you want to change something, you can actually do it. Yeah. There is a, a way for you to do it. You don't have to do it on your own, but you just have to be clever, get the right people involved and ask the right questions and choose the right thing as well. Don't go around picking something to change. What comes from your belly? What comes from your life? What could? What would it be that when things got hard, you wouldn't be able to stop because you just care about it too much? Yeah, That's what you aim for. And I just want people to realize that we're sort of done with people trying to change stuff for us. Why should they? They don't know what it's like. Why yeah. are they the ones to change it? You know, a politician could have written this law and it wouldn't have been as, as progressive. It wouldn't have been as useful because they, they don't understand it. Yeah. So just don't wait for people. Don't wait for permission for people to tell you you can do things. Just go and do it. 
just ignore what people say and go and do it because I am living proof that you can and I'm a bit of a knobhead, but I still change a lot. I've lost 23 debit cards, so if I can change a lot. 23. Gina, what the hell? Gina Martin, <laughs> I know. I'm the most disorganized kind of crazy person, but like, you know, I don't think you have to be an academic or a politician to know something wrong, and I don't think you have to be an academic to change things. Well, thank you. Thank I feel you. like we all owe you a huge debt of gratitude. Oh, please, no. It's my rent for living on this earth. Trying to make some good stuff happen. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. If you liked this episode of History Becomes Her, please subscribe, rate and review. If you have suggestions of history-making women we should feature on our podcast, or you simply want to get in touch, find us on Twitter at HBHpod. And you can find me on Twitter at RVT9. History Becomes Her is a mashable podcast created by Rachel Thompson and Maria Demenzi. Our artwork is by Vicky Lita. Our music was produced by Christiane Straker. Special thanks to Shannon Canellan and Nikolai Nikolov. And why not check out our sister podcast, Fiction Predictions? Thank you so much for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.